Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here. Happy you're listening. Well, almost nobody... In fact, nobody that I know of has reported something that happened on Friday and, like I said, went unreported. And this is very significant. I, I couldn't believe it. In fact, it was hard for me to even find information on it. But the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case called Brunson v. Adams et al. And this case, I mean... I, I mean, it is, it's, it's actually crazy, but there's some, uh, there's some really crazy potential consequences that could come out of this case. Um, and so I want to talk about it today because, you know, you almost need something like this, I think, to, uh, stop what's been going on. Uh, and what's been going on is just, lying with impunity, uh, running roughshod over the American people, uh, all the stuff we talk about on this show, how the government, the government complains about misinformation and disinformation, but they're the largest purveyors of this misinformation and disinformation. And this case, it actually surrounds the 2020 election, uh, but these brothers, these Brunson brothers, basically filed... Uh, in federal court, uh, a case that calls into question not the election itself. That's the interesting thing about it. And we're going to, we're going to, I've got some clips that we're going to play from some people that have been talking about it. Uh, but nobody has announced that the Supreme Court has actually agreed to hear this case. Uh, there's been speculation about whether or not the Supreme Court would hear it. Uh, and most people were like, yeah, they're probably not going to hear this case because they're not going to wade into this, uh, what is largely a political battle. But, uh, but they have. They've actually agreed to hear this case. And so we're going to hear a little bit of, I'm going to play a description of it and let somebody else describe it. And then uh, we're going to make some comments on uh, various aspects. Now, there's, a, there's two clips that I want to draw from. One I'm going to use just to kind of talk about the the, the merits of the case, what the case is all about. And the other one, uh, the guy brings up a lot of, uh, you know, clauses and things like that from the Constitution that I want to bring into question because even if this case is uh, tried at the Supreme Court, which it will be now, we know for a fact it will be, um, it, it's not clear whether or not uh, Brunson would prevail, uh, namely because it, it depends on what the case ends up being about. You know, a lot of times, a lot. This is what people don't realize about the Supreme Court. A lot of times, a case can be brought between this uh, before the Supreme Court, and your argument might be X, Y, Z. Okay, and what what the Supreme Court can do or has done in the past, and this is what people don't realize, um, is they can. They can say, oh, no, that's not your argument. Your argument is actually ABC. 
and basically reformulate what the case is about and then rule on it. And, you know, so, so this one guy talking about what the Constitution says and all this, that may or may not mean anything um, when it comes down to deciding um, the victors in the case. And so I just thought it was really interesting. Um, I also think it's interesting that nobody has talked about it in the mainstream media. I haven't heard one thing. To me, this would be like breaking news. You know, Fox News or somebody should be, you know, interrupting regularly scheduled programming to to play this. And, and you're going to you're going to hear why uh, in a second after we play some of these clips and let these guys introduce the case. This is, again, the Supreme Court website, SupremeCourt.gov, Supreme Court of the United States. And the docket on this case specifically, Brunson v. Alma, states, This case is against 388 federal officers in the official capacities, which include President Joseph Robinette, uh, Robinette Biden, Jr., Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and former Vice President Michael Richard Pence, Mike Pence. And it goes into the, those are the respondents, it says. It says, all the respondents have taken the required oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And as such, they are liable for consequences when they violate the oath of office. Are you understanding this? Again, the oath they take is to defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. They were informed there was a credible threat against the Constitution by enemies domestic. That was the nature of the claim of 100 members of Congress who warned them, right, who warned them that there, would, that there was, in fact, a domestic threat. And it, it was, again, people who were trying to rig the elections. By ignoring that warning, they, this alleges that they violated their oath their oath that affirms their you know, ability to be in, in, in office. And by violating that oath, again, that they should be removed. The thing about this oath of office that all the uh, elected officials and even, even non-elected officials, just people that work in the federal government, I've often thought, you know, they could easily be thrown out of office or prosecuted for violating this oath. I mean, they do it. Uh, continuously. Um, I mean, you can drive a truck through that oath of office, and and and, and people in in our government just violate this with impunity all the time. So that's one of the things I think is interesting about this case. And we're going to play the oath of office in just a second, so you can hear it. And you'll see this is something you can drive a truck through. And I've often thought, God, Lee, man, can't somebody bring charges against some of these people uh, for violating their oath of office. I mean, they clearly are violating their oath of office when they do certain things. And it just goes unpunished uh, nonstop. And, and maybe that's what this is about. Maybe, that's, maybe this is the way the government gets back on track. I don't know. An individual, except the president, elected or appointed to an office of honor or profit in the civil service or uniformed services shall take the following oath. I state their name, 
do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I'm about to enter, so help me God. Mr. Brunson claims that the respondents were warned and asked to investigate an attempt by a highly covert, swift, and powerful enemy to destroy the Constitution of the United States. He further claims that respondents purposely thwarted all efforts to investigate this, whereupon this enemy was not checked or investigated, therefore the respondents adhered to this enemy. Because of respondents' intentional refusal to investigate this enemy, petitioner Rayland J. Brunson brought this action against respondents because he was seriously, personally damaged and violated by this action of respondents, and consequently, this action unilaterally violated the rights of every citizen of the USA and perhaps the rights of every person living in all courts of law. Now, this, this oath is taken by everybody that takes office um, in, in the federal government and in state governments, for that matter. And like I said... Nobody takes it seriously. And, you know, when these 100 uh, congressmen stood up uh, the day the election was going to be certified and said, look, and waved papers around and said, look, we have, we have evidence of credible threats to the way the election was carried out. And we need to, you know, stop this process, basically, and look into this. Now, these, these threats are, you know, I've, I've spoken about these myself on this program. Uh, you can go back to episode 17, all the way back to 17, and listen to it. And it basically uh, goes this way. Uh, the, the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, sent lawyers into particular battleground states, five battleground states, and changed the voting laws uh, without the state legislatures. In other words, they did it in the court system. And this this action is a violation of the Constitution. And we covered that on this program. Now, I think what the case is going to come down to, regardless of what Mr. Brunson and his brothers say, or this other guy that I play a little bit about, you know, a little bit from later, is it's going to come down to, did the respondents know about this these court actions that took place in the battleground states and what did they do which the answer to that is nothing about it even though they knew it was a violation of the constitution that is a violation of their oath of office and this case is brilliant now again the details uh, that Brunson brings up I think the Supreme Court they're just going to reword all this for them. They're, they're going to, this is what they do. Um, usually to uh, the disbenefit of liberty and property. But I think in this case, I think it actually has a pretty good chance of succeeding. Um, and, and we will be following it closely, trust me. And so will a bunch of other people once uh, they start digging into this a little deeper. But... Um, I don't, I don't think there's any question that um, uh, the 388 people mentioned in this lawsuit, the respondents, um, uh, knew 
that the DNC lawyers changed the laws in all these states in violation of the Constitution. And just the knowledge of that without any, um, without any effort to call attention to it, stop it, um, throw out the electors in those states, you know, that's, that's one of the things the 388 respondents could have done is they could have said, you know, the elections in state, in like in Michigan, um, I can't remember where all this happened, uh, Chicago, I mean, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, Arizona, you know, the, all these battleground states, uh, Wisconsin, where they had all these uh, cases that the DNC pursued, where they basically changed the election laws in those states without without the legislature. And the Constitution clearly says that um, the elections and all the election rules will be decided by the state legislatures. So there, there's not a single person in Congress that, that didn't know that this happened. And so without stopping the process where they validated all those electors in uh, January 2020, uh, they violated their oath of office. And I don't, I don't think there's any disputing that. <laughs> the question is, what's going to happen? Are, are all 388 of these people going to be removed from office? What's the process for doing that? How do you replace them? I mean, it's going to be, this could really be a, a real um, point of contention within the United States. This Brunson v. Alma case, this is a lawsuit against Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, former Vice President Mike Pence, and 385 members of Congress. You hear that? 385 members of Congress. Folks, it alleges they broke their oath in office by voting against a proposition for members of Congress to investigate claims that enemies of the Constitution rigged the 2020 election. The interesting thing with this, though, is they found they found a way of getting around the election fraud allegations. It's extremely interesting. This is actually not a case alleging election fraud. And this is important because I think a lot of people thought it was about that. This is a case saying that they violated their oath in office because part of their oath in office, they would have they would have a responsibility to investigate credible accusations of fraud that was in fact brought by members of Congress by refusing to investigate a case that was brought up by I believe over 100 members of Congress. They violated their oath in office. They violated the responsibility to the American people, and by doing so, violated, did, did committed an act that could make them essentially, well, in violation and able to be removed from office. See, this whole issue of investigation is is going to be thrown out. They're not going to they're not going to even go that far as to say uh, the the members, the respondents in the case, the 388 respondents, made no effort to investigate anything. This guy makes a case, this other guy makes a case earlier that Congress doesn't have the authority to investigate anything, which I've, I've said that for years too. You know, it, when they bring Major League Baseball in there and they ask them about, you know, steroids and all this kind of stuff, they don't have any authority on, over in, the, in the Constitution to investigate the National Baseball League or Major League Baseball or the NFL or, or the airline industry or any of these things. I mean, there, there's no constitutional authority to do any of that. But it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. All that's, all that's going to matter is 
whether or not these respondents knew about the court action that took place under the DNC uh, attorneys in these battleground states. And, and that's going to be, that's not going to be in dispute. Um, so, you know, it, this is going to be very, very interesting. I mean, it, this, this may be one of the most interesting cases in the history of the United States and could have far-reaching implications. I mean, one of the things I hope would come out of it is that these people start taking their oath of office more serious. Uh, more seriously. I mean, they they just, you know, I remember years ago when, when Obamacare was, was being uh, voted on and, and somebody, some reporter asked Nancy Pelosi where, where Congress had the authority to do this. And she basically laughed and said, are you serious? And the guy was like, yeah. And she said, <laughs> and she basically just dismissed the question. But this is the thing. They think they can do just whatever they want to do. And there, there are no limits to their power. And so, I don't know, man. This could be something very, very important uh, to the trajectory of the United States. A successfully rigged election has the same end result as an act of war, to place into power whom the victors want, which in this case is Biden, who, if not stopped immediately, will continue to destroy the fundamental freedoms of Brunson and all U.S. citizens and courts of law. Well, I think the... Uh, the rigged election having the same um, uh, effect as an act of war is a little bit hyperbolic. But the the better point to make is, and you hear Democrats make this all the time, that, that your right to vote is sacrosanct. It, it's the most important right. I mean, they go on and on and on about it all the time. And what happens when you when when something like what was done during the 20 uh, in the run up to the 2020 election where where the the power of state legislatures were circumvented by the courts at the direction of lawyers you disenfranchise millions and millions and millions of people so in, in that respect I, I agree with Brunson that uh, you know that Biden and, and all these people they 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 violated their oath of office they 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 basically disenfranchised millions of Americans uh, by just ignoring what had happened uh, in the run-up to the 2020 election in the court system. And I think the court, in particular, the Supreme Court, is going to take offense to this. They don't, they don't appreciate this manipulation of the court system. Of, of, of the, uh, they don't appreciate... Uh, I don't think the DNC using the courts to um, to manipulate um, uh, the Constitution, and I think they're going to say something about that. We'll see. I mean, this is all conjecture on my part. I have no idea, and I'm not a lawyer. But again, the law is very it's very logical. Uh, well, most of the time, it's very logical. Uh, sometimes it's not, but most of the time. It follows a level of logic, and if you've studied any Supreme Court cases, which I've studied like the major ones, they they do this all the time where they basically restate your case, and I think that's what's going to happen here. A court adjudicating that the respondents who have taken the oath of office to be incapable of holding their offices or who have adhered to a domestic enemy means nothing without such removal from office.
does the Supreme Court have the authority to remove someone from office? There are only two clauses in the Constitution that authorize removal of a sitting elected representative or senator. Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 says, each House may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and, with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. In Article 2, Section 4, which says, the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The Constitution does not delegate to the courts the power to remove someone from federal office. Only the representatives of the people and the states have such a power. That's right. You know, the courts do not have the authority to remove these 388 people from office. But the state legislatures do. And uh, uh, the, the people of the states are represented by the state legislatures. And we could very well have a situation where the state legislatures... Uh, get together and remove these individuals from the off from uh, their offices based on um, some ruling at the Supreme Court. I mean, that's that's essentially how it could go down. Now, you know, all the other stuff that guy said is accurate. There, there is no way for the Supreme Court to remove all these people from office. They can simply rule that all these people violated their oath of office uh, based on... Um, the circumventions um, of, of election laws in these various battleground states um, by the DNC, but that's about it. And then, and then it'll be, I guess, up to the states to figure out, you know, the remedy for all these people's offices. I'm not sure that the facts presented so far show that it's incontestable that the respondents committed fraud, much less treason. And the repeated claims that there is an as yet unnamed domestic enemy doesn't help Mr. Brunson's claim to my mind. Brunson's complaint alleges fraud, violations of the oath of office, and touches on acts of treason committed by the respondents. I don't think they're going to have to show anything. I don't think they're going to have to show that anybody uh, uh, perpetrated fraud or treason. They're just going to have to show that they violated their oath of office by doing nothing. Doing nothing, you can break the law by doing nothing. If you had a duty to act... In this case, I think the DNC is the domestic enemy, uh, and and the court and the courts acted way outside of their legal authority, and and the elections were carried out according to that authority, which was not legitimate. Um, but they don't have to show that anybody committed treason or or anybody committed fraud. They don't have to. It, all this is a matter of public record. It it, it happened. I mean, there, there's no, did this happen allegedly? This actually happened. And it's just a matter of record. Uh, and, and these 388 people that, that represent our federal government just let it go. They, they let it happen. They let it uh, play out and did nothing about it. That's going to be the allegation. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I could be wrong, you know, but... You know, if if some if some laws were broken in the United States that uh, uh, that resulted in an election that wasn't according to the Constitution, and you did nothing about it, then you basically uh, violated your oath of office. Period. End of story. That's there's nothing else to talk about. It may seem to Mr. Brunson that 
being found ineligible for office without removal would mean nothing, but that doesn't make it legal. Furthermore, Brunson's allegations against respondents adhering to a domestic enemy and committing acts of fraud are not protected by any kind of legislation of jurisdictional immunity. Essentially, acts of Congress cannot protect fraud, nor protect the violation of the oath or that give aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States Constitution or America as alleged in Brunson's complaint against the respondents. Mr. Brunson may be correct that Congress cannot pass a law granting themselves immunity, but the Constitution already has one. In Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2, as I've already quoted, it is an incontestable fact that the respondents committed fraud and treason, breaching our national security, as factually alleged in Brunson's complaint, thus adhering to a domestic enemy that continues to breach our national security at an alarming rate on a daily basis. Look, I don't have a dispute at all with what this guy's saying. All this stuff that he's saying is accurate. The problem is he's not he's not looking at the way the Supreme Court normally does things. The Supreme Court, uh, I would say the vast majority of the things the Supreme Court rules on are, are not even... Uh, they're, they're, you, you can find fault with the arguments uh, just by reading specific parts of the Constitution. The Supreme Court, what they do is they restate your case. And I'm, I'm confident that's what's going to happen in this case. They're going to restate the case just, just the way I said. And all that's going to be determined is that these 388 people did, in fact, violate their oath of office and should be removed from office. If someone were to rig an election, that would make them an enemy of the Constitution, specifically a domestic enemy of the Constitution. You want to talk about domestic terrorists, right? A hundred members of Congress alleged that there was a threat to the Constitution. The Constitution was undermined. And domestic enemies of the Constitution had, in fact, rigged the election. Those 100 members of Congress who made that warning were ignored. And other members of Congress, as well as Joe Biden, as well as, you know, as well as um, Mike Pence, and as well as, again, Biden and Harris, who were elected through that process, essentially ignored those warnings. The lawsuit is based on this, and it says, is this lawsuit about, this is important, they say, is this lawsuit about a rigged election? No. This is important. They're explaining this is not about whether or not there was election fraud. They're not even going into that, which is a very interesting way that they're approaching this. They say, no. It's about the members of Congress who voted against the investigation, thereby thwarting the investigation. Was this a clear violation of their oath? Yes. One way of understanding this case is what should have happened. What should these members of Congress done when, when called to certify the election uh, with the knowledge that five states in, the, in these United States violated the Constitution and presented f basically fraudulent, fraudulent electors. What they should have done is they should have uh, called for some sort of debate on the floor and proposed throwing out the electors from the five states who violated the Constitution by changing election laws without the knowledge of their state legislatures. That would have been probably the proper procedure. Uh, 
But obviously they didn't do that. They they called these hundred people that were trying to call attention to this. Uh, oh, your election denier. You know, they called them names and all that stuff, which is what these people have been doing all along to try to discredit opposition. And uh, and and they're kind of you know this this kind of the backlash for not properly. Uh, you know, in faithfully executing your oath of office. There is no duty or even a power for Congress to investigate crimes. That's a job for the executive branch. In fact, a look at the 12th Amendment shows that Congress has only one job in this situation. Witness the counting of the votes for president. That is, unless one, of the, one candidate does not get a majority. The president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all their certificates and the votes shall then be counted. So where does Mr. Brunson claim that Congress has a duty to investigate election fraud? I've looked. I do not see that as a power delegated to the United States, much less Congress. Again, their duty is to their oath of office. And if they have knowledge that the constitutional process was violated, they should have acted. And the fact that they didn't act has put them uh, in direct conflict with their oath of office. And that's going to be, that, I'm, I'm just telling you, that's going to be the case. That's going to be the case that's going to be made. And that's what the Supreme Court is going to end up ruling on. I think, so let me qualify that, I think. I've, the, the Supreme Court has done this in numerous cases. They take all your arguments and they say, well, that's not what, really what you're arguing. You're arguing this. And then they rule on that. This case is interesting because what it's basically arguing is that by, well, essentially by not looking into allegations of election fraud, uh, that officials who voted to confirm the 2020 election essentially broke their oath in office if they're found guilty of having done that because this is a lawsuit against them. It would not only remove them from office, but it would make them ineligible for running for office at any level of the U.S. government ever again for the rest of their lives. It's a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm on, I'll be honest, I, I'm, I, I will be surprised if the Supreme Court agrees to hear it. Well, get ready to be surprised because on Friday, January 6th, the Supreme Court agreed to hear this case. <laughs> this is going to be something... To follow. I mean, this could be maybe the biggest thing that's ever happened politically in the United States behind uh, the Civil War or the, uh, the Northern War of Aggression against the South. I mean, that's how big this could be. So we'll be following it closely. And uh, But yeah, believe it or not, they are going to hear this case. If this lawsuit wins... That means 385 members of Congress will lose their jobs. They will get kicked out of office. Not only that, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be removed from office. And and not only that, but Mike Pence will also never be allowed to run for president or anything ever again. They, these politicians, 385 members of Congress, every just about every Democrat or everyone, I believe, as well as many Republicans, would never be able to hold any office in America ever again for the rest of their lives, including like local city council member positions, down to the lowest level of the government to the highest. They could never hold office again if this 
is affirmed by the Supreme Court. And not only that, not only that, but it would actually restore Trump to office because he would have been the legitimate candidate. So that last part that he mentions about bringing Trump back to office, it is that if that happens, I mean, people are going to lose their minds in this country. Uh, the media is absolutely going to lose their minds. Um, yeah, it's just going to be I, this. Like I said, this could be what I'm excited about. Let me let me forget the theater of it. The theater of it is crazy, and it's going to be a real shit show. But what I'm excited about is it is it gets these people. Uh, serious once again about their oath of office and this could this could uh, allow Americans to sue politicians all the time for violating their oath of office so this could be a real win uh, for liberty in America I know that's very optimistic of me but that's what I see here that's the silver lining I see I don't care about Trump coming back to office. I, I really don't want him to come back to office. I don't think. But I, what I do want is I want our politicians to take us seriously. And I want them to quit violating our liberty. And I want them to, to do the job that they're supposed to be doing on our behalf and representing us. And if this case could put the fear of God in these people... Uh, and, and, and start bringing real statesmen's, statesmen and stateswomen back to these roles, then I'm all for that. From my review, the problems with Mr. Brunson's complaint are not only many, but as outrageous as the audacity of his claims. Mr. Brunson claims Congress has a legally binding investigatory power not defined in the Constitution of the United States. We have an enemy with only vague claims of identity. We have failure to follow a person's oath of office referred to as treason, something not supported by the Constitution. We have Mr. Brunson calling for a redress that the courts cannot give him and the removal by the court of the president, vice president, and members of Congress. And finally, we have the desire of Mr. Brunson for the courts to install a new president and vice president based solely on the claims that Congress did not investigate alleged crimes committed at a state level in state elections. Again, I don't have a problem with any, really anything this gentleman is talking about. The, the problem, the, the thing that his arguments are going to run up against, it's what I call the head-on arguments. He's making all the right arguments that he's looking at the, 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 the plaintiff's claims, and he's comparing those claims to what the Constitution says. And he's making a head-on assessment about, you know, the guy calling for Congress to investigate and Congress doesn't have the power to investigate. And he's, he's looking at all these aspects and he's spot on. He's right. But again, the Supreme Court has a long track record of restating uh, your case and then ruling on it. <laughs> there's a there's a famous case uh, with a, a woman named Rachel Rach uh, from California, and she she had all these weird diseases and ailments, and uh, smoking marijuana was like the only thing that gave her relief. Uh, 
And, um, and so she said that she had a right to seek, you know, a remedy to her ailments and that she had a, you know, individual right or, you know, I, I can't remember exactly her argument. And they basically just restated it and said, no, you don't have a, you know, a fundamental right to do this or that. And they ruled against her. And anybody that would have read the case beforehand would think for sure that they would, you know, rule in favor of this woman who found this, this was the only way she could feel better, but they just said no. So the court does this all the time. Uh, this gentleman reviewing, he does a good job of stating all the constitutional, you know, clauses and things like that. But it, it's just really not the way the Supreme Court works. I mean, I've, there's, uh, if you study all the famous cases in the Supreme Court, they restate these things all the time. Um, you can look at, uh, you know, challenges to the interstate commerce clause, you know, the abstention from commerce affects interstate commerce. Therefore they have the authority. I mean, there's all kinds of things that the Supreme court does that don't follow, you know, direct logic. And so I think, I think this is where this guy, uh, is off base a little bit, but we'll see, we'll see. He'll be right. Or I'll be right. Or maybe neither one of us will be right. And there'll be some other wild, crazy thing the Supreme Court does as a result of this case. This is incredible, frankly. Um, I think it's, I do, I will still say, I say, I think it's a long shot, folks. I think it's a long shot because this would be the Supreme Court basically, basically, this would be the Supreme Court voting to just completely purge the U.S. government and reform the U.S. government. It's, but again, they would have to rule in the Constitution. If you go by the Constitution, this is a constitutional matter, and they very likely did violate their oaths in office. If, if the Supreme Court looks at it solely from a constitutional stance, there's actually a strong case for it, frankly. And again, they have shown enough interest in it to suggest that they will, at the very least, take the case, although we'll see. Well, again, um, we have seen... And uh, this past Friday, January 6th, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. It is going before the Supreme Court. There is no question at this point. And uh, this is going to become, I think, a, a very, very serious case. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talking about it. You're going you're gonna to see. In fact, this probably won't, won't be the last time we're going to talk about it because we're going we're gonna to weigh in on people like Mehdi Hassan talking about it. We're going to weigh in on... Um, Tucker talking about it. We're going to, we're going to weigh in on a bunch of different people talking about this because um, I, I just, you know, I, I don't think the direct approach is going to be the approach the court takes. And that's just the way I feel about it. Uh, just based on other Supreme court cases that, that I've read. Mark Levin has a great book called men in black. If you want to know more about the Supreme court, it's, it's an excellent book. He looks at some of the most significant cases ruled on by the court. Another another one is uh, who killed the Constitution. Uh, there's a there's a number of uh, cases covered in that book by Tom Woods and uh, a guy named Kevin Gutzman. All right. Well, look, I've uh, run a little bit long today, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion. I think it's interesting that nobody else is talking about this yet, but I, I suspect that's going to change pretty quickly here. 
And when it does, we'll uh, jump in and make some comments. And uh, so, look, if you enjoy this content, you enjoy these kinds of discussions, come back and, and listen, you know, share the show. Uh, but most importantly, come back and listen. And of course, if you do, then I'll be here tomorrow to do it all over again. Thank you.